You may remember Brooke White as the indie pop singer and songwriter from season seven of American Idol. But what you might not know is her crazy backstory of how she even ended up as a contestant on American Idol, how she felt God led her to that decision and opened doors all along the way. Brooke shares how she learned to get out of her own way and that God has a plan for you that he will make happen if you'll only allow him to. All right, today, you guys, I have a friend who I have adored for many, many, many years, even before I met her in person. And when I met her in person, I kind of embarrassed myself and started crying because she just meant so much to me and still does. And it's still making me emotional because I just love her so much. So say hi, Brooke. Hi. And also, I just need to just interrupt you for a second and say you did not embarrass yourself. I remember that moment at Alt Summit when we met and you walked up to me. And you shared with me your story and what you had gone through and how I I think if I remember right, you told me about hearing Let It Be, watching Let It Be on American Idol, just watching American Idol in general and how um, just how that helped you in, in that giant trial of your life. And like when people reach out and share those things with me, it it helps reinforce my purpose and it gives me more strength and confidence. So zero embarrassment. And you crying, coming to me and being a vulnerable and open with me um, was a blessing to me. So I just, I just wanted to put that little footnote in there. Well, thanks, Brooke. So Brooke White was on American Idol season. What was it? Season seven. Okay. And your, your season and the season that my friend Carmen Rasmussen was on are the only two seasons that I watched start (laughs) to finish and not missed an episode. (laughs) But what Brooke is referring to is the at that season in 2007 yeah. right or maybe it was 2008 it was actually 2008 um, seasons season 7 2008 okay so yes that makes sense in 2008 that was the year that i was um married for just one year out of college and it was a really dark time for yeah. me and for some reason i started you know what i actually remember why i started watching american idol because at the time all of my coworkers were watching american idol so they they all wanted yeah, to talk so about talk it about. every week so i was like sure i'll jump in you know and i just remember feeling so drawn to you brooke and to and feeling like there's something really special about this girl and i just felt like you were such a light and um, it just was, yeah, a light in a dark time of my life. And so when I saw Brooke for the first time, I just got emotional and fangirled on her and told her how much I loved her. That's, we're here to talk about you and your amazing story. So let's talk about how American Idol even became a thing. How did that get on your radar? Why did you decide to do it? So, you know, I would say I started, I did watch the show, I think, on and off the previous seasons. And it's never like I had the thought, like, I got to be on this show. I could win the show. It was quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. I'd watch it and think, man, I could never hack that show. Like, I just saw that, you know, it's, I really feel like it's a singer's show. And even though I sing, I guess I've always struggled to identify as a quote unquote singer or quote unquote vocalist. And, and so it never really crossed my mind that I would go after that. I was in LA. I, I moved to LA when I was, um, 20 the second time, just to too long of a story to, to recap. But I, you know, I came to LA, I started going to music school. I'm from Arizona originally. I didn't start singing until I was 16 years old. And so <laughs> I was kind of in this experimental phase of like trying on like my talent for music and, and trying to see if it was real and was it substantial and could I really do it? And so I went to music school for a short time and, um, ended up staying in LA, started writing music. I actually started writing music in my, when I was 20 is when I started. Mm -hmm. And, um, I started playing the piano and singing at the same time. And so it was all relatively new for me. I mean, I feel like music, I'm, I'm an ancient soul in music, but in terms of like pursuing it, it was sort of new for me. And so, um, you know, I was, I was in LA and I started working with a producer who believed in me and we made a record in this attic and, you know, the goal was to get a record deal. And actually I'd gotten married the year after I I moved here, actually it was 2004. And so I moved out here before I'd gotten married, started working and doing, or started making music and started doing open mic nights and started doing like the whole thing. Anyway, 
going down this road, which I never dreamed of. Like it, I wasn't like, I was not the person that was born with a microphone in my hand. I didn't know from the age three that I wanted to be a star. That was just not my story at all. So I was all just kind of like catching up to it, like totally full of self doubt, but trying and had people yeah. in my life that believed in me and pushed me. And I think that's what kept me. That's what really got me going. And so three or four years into LA, um, long, long story short, I had gone out for this little radio competition to get a record deal at star FM. And, um, <laughs> I got down to the finals and played in the finals and I, and I didn't win. Apparently what I've told, what I've been told was the whole thing was rigged for this other artist to win as a promotional state. Oh, who knows if that's true. Nice. Anyway, I didn't win. And it was the Lord's plan, you know, God's plan and the words of Drake and all the others. But I feel like I knew that <laughs> It, it all worked out perfectly that it didn't work out. And so, um, yeah. two days later after that competition, I lost, I was sad. And I was like, I need to move on with my life. I want to have children. You know, we've been married for three years and I thought, you know, I'm getting older. <laughs> I'm getting so old. I need to move on with my life. Uh -huh. I know. LOL. Yeah. I'm that's, I laugh at that now, obviously that's just a, such a silly thought, but I guess coming from where I come from, you know, I thought, well, you know, I'm 23, 24 years old. I need to start having kids. And that's what I always wanted. That's what I saw for myself yeah. in my life was to be a mom. Right. And so, um, at the time I had found out that American Idol was happening. You know, uh, the guy I was working at the time was kind of encouraging of, you should go out for that. And I remember thinking, there's no way I would ever do that. And mm -hmm. then the thoughts just started to nag at me, American Idol, American Idol, American Idol. And, um, at this point I was like ready to just move forward personally in my life and maybe let yeah. go of the dream. Right. A dream that I didn't even know was really mine, to be honest. Like I didn't even know if I really wanted it to begin with. I love music, but like pursuing a music career, I didn't know if that was what I wanted. And, and I didn't know if that's what I wanted for my life as a whole, knowing that I wanted family and I wanted to be a mom. And so at that kind of fork in the road, I guess I was when American Idol came up and then it started to nag at me. It was like, okay, I just don't think that's for me. Like, I just, I just don't think I'm a proper fit for that show. And like, I'm a good enough singer. And again, like even after three or four years of doing that, of just like kind of, I was still kind of a baby in it all, but getting some experience, I just felt like I wasn't cut out for it. I wasn't good enough. I wouldn't yeah. make it. But again, that, that pressing thought kept coming to my mind about American Idol. I looked it up. The, the audition had just happened in San Diego. I missed it. So I was like, Oh, there you go. I can't make it. So then I saw there was, it's right, that's easy. That makes it easy. But then I saw there was one last audition in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm thinking, Oh man, there, there's no way I'm going all the way out there to audition for the show. Right. Literally the other end, Literally of, the the other end of the country for one, like we're, you know, I'm a starving artist. I was a nanny. I was cutting hair to my bathroom. My husband was a starting, you know, CPA at one of the big five firms. And, you know, just also just getting established in his job. And neither of us hardly had enough money to live in LA. And so I was like, how would I even make it to Philadelphia? Anyway, I ended up in Arizona. I was there for my cousin's ceiling. And I knew that this audition was happening in literally two days. And I'm thinking, if I'm going to do this, like I have to make a decision. And I was just mm -hmm. absolutely sick about it. Just, I remember thinking to myself, like, I can't do this. It's too far away. I don't have the money. I don't want to do it. I wouldn't make it blah, blah, blah. And, and I thought, and I kept hearing like the contract is terrible. You don't want to get involved with that contract. They'll own your life. And so I'm just <laughs> thinking, this is so much good evidence why I should not do this show. But I remember that yeah. night laying in my bed and I couldn't sleep. And it was in my, you know, just in the pit of my stomach. And I knew that I had to do it. And I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. And the next day, I remember I called John Peter Lewis, which I don't remember him. He was another LDS guy who was on the show. And my husband happened to teach him mission prep. Somehow, I, I oh, know, wow. hilarious. Somehow I tracked down his number. I gave him a call. And I said, would you recommend, would you tell someone to do American Idol? And he said, yeah. absolutely, I would. And that was just enough of a nudge oh. that I needed to be like, okay, okay maybe I can do this. And I asked Dave who was out of town. I said, what do you think about me going out for this audition? 
And he's yeah. like, if this was in our backyard, you would be there. You would do that. Like if this was in LA, you would do it. I think you should just do it. You know, he was supportive. Mm -hmm. And so I got online and I booked a red eye flight. There was one ticket left. Crazy. Oh I got gosh. on it. I emptied out my entire savings account on that one single ticket. I had no money for a hotel. My parents crazy offered to pay for my hotel. I found this like really old, old, old hotel in Philadelphia. So I flew there in the middle of the night. I got to Philadelphia. The first step was to go register for the show. I go to the registration and there's zero people there. It's just like, no one's there. So I'm thinking, wow, that's amazing. I walk up, I get my ticket. And the next day, um, they said, you need to show up at the Wachovia arena tomorrow morning at, at 4.30 AM. <laughs> so oh yeah, I, I know I didn't sleep all night. I'm so nervous. I prepare my songs. I go outside. I'm wearing this blue and white striped shirt, jeans tucked into boots. My hair was long and curly. Mm -hmm. And I remember going outside in the street and it was just crawling with people. And I got to the, the to the Wachovia arena and I, and I've never seen more people in my life. And I waited out in front for four hours before they let us in. And then my ticket had a, I had a, a number on it. And, my, mm. and that was how, where I had to sit up in, in the arena. You just have to think of like any giant arena, right? That you'd see a right. basketball game or a concert. And that's where we auditioned for the first time. Like, I didn't know anything I was getting myself into. Like what you see on TV isn't necessarily what, I mean, it's not what happened oh, I'm to get sure. to the end, you know, to get, by the time you see the judges, they have, they have done multiple rounds and cuts to get to that point. Right. And you're toting your guitar around. This no, no, I too. didn't even have my guitar at this point. Like all I know oh, is wow. that you can only, at the time there was only acapella auditions, the end I get there and, um, yeah, there's so many people. So I get inside and I finally get up to my, my seat. I'm in the nosebleeds, right? I'm at the tip top of the arena because literally when I went to audition, when I went to go register, I was like maybe the last person that showed up to register, which is why there was no mm -hmm. people. I was like dead last. I like barely squeaked wow. in. So my ticket was like, am I right up at the top? So I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna have to wait a long time, right? <laughs> I got there at 4.30. I didn't audition till one o'clock in the morning. <gasps> what? Yeah. Oh my yeah, gosh. I waited 21 hours. And in American Idol history, it was the largest audition to date. Over 21,000 wow. people. And just wow. that audition. And there's an audition tour. They go through seven cities. So total, they auditioned 107,000 people. So insane. Yeah. I end up in Philadelphia, which was also by divine design. And it's, it's amazing because throughout the audition process, what you don't realize is that, and I didn't realize is that you would go through, you know, I, I end up at my audition and you just like, there's like a, there's like all these partitions, like with tables and there's like two people at each table or one person mm -hmm. from the show, whether they're a producer or just someone that works on the front lines who helps with this kind of like first initial, you know, cattle call audition. And they just kind of filter through everyone right. to kind of make that first judgment call. And, um, they literally let hardly anyone. And that very first audition, they let 300 people through out of 21,000. It just felt like almost no one was getting through. Like you would hear yeah. huge voices, these beautiful voices singing from up at the top and you would just see no one going through. And whenever anyone would get through, we would all erupt in just cheers because it was so rare. Oh, it would let someone so cool. through. And so I'm thinking this whole time, like, why am I here? I am wasting my time. <laughs> I'm hearing these incredible singers down there. They're not making it. Like, and my husband called me. I told this, I tell this little tidbit when I share the story, like in different settings, but my husband, who's an accountant and a numbers guy in yeah. the complete opposite of me, he calls me 16 hours in. And he says, <laughs> he's like, Hey, so I just, I Googled it. I did some research and like, you literally have a 0.01% chance of making it on the show. Which I was wow. like, that's encouraging. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. I just wiped out our savings, which wasn't much, but it's all relative. And that I've been waiting here for 16 hours on the other side of the country for a 0.01% chance. But to be honest, like part of me was like, wanted maybe to not even make it. I think I was like so afraid and like just didn't believe in myself and didn't didn't think I could handle it. And so I think there right. was a part of me that was like banking on the 0.01% chance and and so I remember waiting up there and everyone is around you like 
singing to themselves, like, nah, you know, it's like practicing their song, oh like stepping on soft pretzels all over the ground. And it's just mayhem. And as we're waiting, you just see people dropping like flies. Like, I can't wait any longer. They leave, they leave, they leave. And you just, it's amazing to watch this whole process unfold of just waiting, waiting. And the pressure just kind of, anyway, they would have never, <laughs> they'd have never been able to endure the experience. It was it was hard. Um, but by the time I got there, I just didn't expect to win. But I remember just like getting to that front line and almost reaching that point and just praying. And I just remember praying and just saying, you know, Heavenly Father, if this is what you want for me, then put a fire in me. And because yeah. I was tired, you know, and I was, I wanted to go home. And um, I just said, you know, if, you know, help, help me come alive. And and arise to this occasion. And I remember stepping up. I remember looking the man that was behind the desk in the eye and singing, um, I feel the earth move under my feet by Carol King. And he locked in with me and I felt it. <laughs> and he said to me, Hey, can you sing? And all you do is step up and you say, it's like, you're in a line of four people. You walk, you step up, you sing, you don't even say your name, where you're from. They know nothing about you. And wow. then he said to me, will you sing one more thing? And so I sang like a star by Corinne Bailey Ray, something old, something new. And when we were done, he said, I'm so sorry, but I'm only going to take you two. And he pointed me to the, and the girl next to me. And I literally could not believe that I made it through. Like oh I'm thinking gosh. at the end of the day, like this guy's tired and you know, we're all tired. He's hurt a billion people. Yeah. So I make it. He's over it. <laughs> I make it like, I, I couldn't believe it. Like every round, I, I went through four rounds before I made it um, to Simon, Paula and Randy. And mm -hmm. every time I'd make it, like it was a huge deal. Like you'd wait and you'd, you'd hear these amazing singers and you just think, why would I? I just kept thinking, why, why me? Why would I even make it any farther? And with each round that would pass, it was like God really just kept paying, like, just like he, it, the door was opening and it was like, this is yours to walk through. I'm opening it for you. I want you to walk through it. Yeah. And it was incredibly emotional. And I mean, gosh, that was over 12 years ago. It was in August, 2007 when it started. And, um, part, I mean, I was battling, uh, an enormous darkness of self-doubt the whole way through. And I think that's one of the things I like to tell the people, tell people the most is that I wasn't roaring with confidence. I didn't feel sure of myself when they'd say, tell, you know, they'd get me on camera and say, um, Brooke, do you believe you you're going to be the next American Idol? They ask you this question and you have to put the question in the answer and you have to yes. say, I'm Brooke White and I believe that I'm going to be the next American Idol. And whenever they would ask me to say that it was an enormous struggle because I didn't believe it at all. I did not believe wow. I was going to be the next American Idol. I didn't believe I was gonna even make that I had made it to the point that I'd made. So whenever they'd ask me and I I try to like say it, it was like it just felt wrong in my yeah. mouth. The words didn't feel believable for me. But yet there I was. And the only reason I really knew I was there and the only reason I knew I kept going was because it was just in the plan. And that that was what right. God had worked out for me. And so um at a certain point, I, I just sort of started to surrender to the fact that this is happening. And, um, I remember my husband coming to pick me up to have dinner. Um, so when I, when I got the golden ticket to Hollywood, that was, I mean, that, that's just the first five rounds. Then you have all these multiple rounds that happen months later and it just keeps going and going and going and going. And it's like, will I make it yes. like a cut every week for the rest of time? It feels, but, um, I remember my husband picking me up in Pasadena in Hollywood week and I had made it to the top 50 at that point. And it just felt like I'd already done a billion rounds. Like, like people yeah. have no idea just like to get to that point, even like what it looks like to get to that point, what right. you're up against, like how much competition there is and how much waiting and what yes. you go through. It's a lot. And so I remember at this point, my husband said to me, do you like, do you think this is going to happen? Like, do you think you're going to be on this show? Could you imagine if you end up on this show? And I remember just thinking, no, but I just got to tell you that I think I'm going to. 
like at that point, yeah. like it really became like beyond myself, beyond my desire to be there, beyond my feelings of worthiness to be there. It just kept being like opened up for me. And, um, man, I've told like this story in different times and settings and I haven't cried about it in like 10 years. Um, but I think what I'm, I feel a connection with right now in the story is how I can remember how deep I was in self-doubt. I can remember how afraid I was to do it. And yet the undeniable feeling of God's hand in it right. was so powerful for me that I couldn't not keep going. And I guess it was just like, you need to get out of your own way and just let this happen. And I mean, when I say let it happen, I mean, work my brains out and <laughs> totally. like everything that I had personally, all my work ethic and all of my, the hours and the, all that, like I had to put that in, but it was like, just relying that whatever it was that made it me enough to even be there was like, that part was out of my hands. <laughs> like I just had to bring work. I just had to work and let it happen. And, yep. and it did. And it happened. It's so incredible. So what do you feel like? I know you've shared with me before some of the like little tender mercies that you felt like God kept telling you, yes, you're supposed to be here. Yes, you're supposed to do this. What were some of those things that kept you going through that experience? Well, uh, I think the story that (laughs) that I never planned on telling, that I never planned on sharing, um, that I never really thought would see the light of day in in such an enormous way was the story about never seeing a rated R movie. I... I tell this in firesides and again, I've never really mentioned it on a, on the public platform, but uh, when I had auditioned and I had made it through that first round in Philadelphia and mm-hmm. I had gone, they, they send you back into the locker room to fill out your first big stack of paperwork. I mean, with every round you, you fill out more paperwork. They start finding out about you. Cause initially, like I said, they don't know your story. They don't know where you're yeah. from. They don't know anything. Okay. So they know that part of it is your talent, right? Something there they got to feel your your voice or something. And then they want to get into the story, right? They want to know more about Mm -hmm. you because the story is is half of what I think takes you, gets you onto the show. So I, and it makes people fall in love with the people that they're watching because there's a human connection. Yes, absolutely. So, so I go back in the room, into the locker room, they take a Polaroid of me that day. And, um, I remember doing the peace sign and I remember they hand me my, my little stack of papers, my big stack of papers. I fill it out. I'm infamously bad at paperwork because I'm very literal <laughs> and I'm like trying to fill everything out perfectly. And I'm like the last person in the room. There's no one left. There's like this lady in the room and me, and, um, I'm just taking forever. And I get to the last question, which is tell us something interesting about you that doesn't pertain to music. (laughs) And I'm staring, I'm staring at this question and I don't know how to answer it. I just, all I can think of is I'm like a boring Mormon girl from Arizona. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I didn't, I never lived out of my car. I haven't survived some massive tragedy, knock on wood. I just didn't have anything that was like, wow. You know, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, I made it this far and now it's, you know, there's, there's nothing I I can't. So I left it blank and I went back up to the, to the desk and I gave it to her and she said, thank you so much. She flipped through. She got to the end. She said, I'm so sorry. You missed the last question. (laughs) And I'm thinking, yeah, I'd said to her, yeah, I'm, I, I just couldn't think of anything. And she said, okay, well, I just need to tell you that this is like maybe the most important question on the whole thing. And so I'm, I'm just, <laughs> so I say to her, like, you know, I'm just trying to, she's like, well, anything, you know, about your, your upbringing or 
you know, any special talents or skills that you have. And I remember like showing her that I was double jointed, like just joking, like, yeah, <laughs> not that. It's like, not, not really what we're looking for that you're double jointed in your fingers. <laughs> or that like, I, I told her, I was like, oh, it's like a beauty school dropout. And she's like, yeah, I mean, that's cool. Anyway, she's like, listen, go sit down and think it through one more time. And so I remember going back into the locker. I remember very well the memory in this wooden, you know, locker space and sinking back. And I, I, I started to cry because I felt like I have nothing. I don't know anything about me. That's, I'm not just saying like, I'm not interesting at all, but like, that's going to be worthy of this, like, right. Nothing at this magnitude. And so I, I said another prayer and I, and I asked, I asked God, like, Hey, you, you got me this far. I mean, here I am with this question. Like, what, what am I, what do I say? Like, what's my answer? And I, and I, you know, I said, amen. And, um, boom, there it was. And, and it was, and the answer was this write down that you've never had a drink and you've never seen a rated R movie. And my first impulse was like, no, I will not. I can't write that down. Are you (laughs) kidding me? Am I going to write that down? Like I'm going to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to appear self-righteous or like, I'm not ashamed of these decisions. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm happy that I've made them and it's the way I live and I'm happy, but like, am I going to, I mean, how do I write that down? Like, you know, what is, how's that going to look like? And it was literally like, you write it down. You have nothing else. This is the thing, write it down. And so I wrote it down. I've never had a drink. I've never seen a radar movie. I don't know if that makes me interesting or boring. And I put a smiley face on it and I wrote a smiley face. Cause I would just, I didn't want it to look like I was taking myself too seriously. Yeah. I turn in my paper. I remember getting in the cab 1.30 in the morning, almost 2 a.m. in the morning and calling my husband and saying, you know, guess who is the 0.01%? Um, and telling him kind of what had happened. And I told him what I wrote down and he was like, you wrote, you put that on your paper. I mean, he was like, (laughs) are you kidding? He was like, you wrote that down. And I was like, yes, I know I prayed. And that's what came to me. And so I just wrote it down and he, (laughs) he's like, all right, we'll see how that's received. And I remember getting there the next day for yet another audition, they say, wear the same thing you wore today. I wore that same outfit five times in a row, thankfully, because I didn't have any oh other gosh. clothes. I didn't know how long I was going to be there. Um, yeah. It just so happens, again, like, like I said earlier, divine design, this is what's called the turnaround city. They do the initial audition in each city, and then they do call, then they go to the next city, and then they do callbacks when they come back. So could you have imagined if I'd flown out to Philadelphia, had to go home and they called me back and I had to go back to Philadelphia. No, no. but because this is the last city on the route, it's the turnaround city. They do every audition in one week. It's the only time that they do that. And that's where Crazy. I was. Well, and I just want to say too, I kept thinking this when you said that you were the last person to sign up and then you were the last person to audition. I don't know about you, but doing piano competitions growing up, my teacher was always like, you want to be first or you want to be last? Right. Because everybody else in the middle kind of gets like, you know, muddled into the mix of like who was what or whatever. But the first and the last, for some reason, are super memorable. So that also probably was by design. I mean, I had never thought about it that way. I definitely have never thought of that. So that's a good point to bring up. But, you know, definitely. I mean, I'm a W in my last name. So I'm used to being, you know, close to the end. And yeah. But (laughs) I mean, yeah, I that's definitely a really solid point. And and so by the time I had gotten through the, when I got to the second audition, I remember walking through the door with that outfit on and a woman, like a girl was walking through with her American Idol shirt. Cause there's all this American Idol staff and she has her little earpiece and her walkie talkie. And she sees me and she stops dead in her tracks. And she says to me, Oh my gosh, are you the girl that's never seen a rated R movie? I can't believe that this is like already this is already a thing. thing. Yes. And, and she knows it because I'm wearing, the, she probably saw my packet. She saw my picture, blah, blah, blah. She asks me. And my first response is like, okay. And I say to her, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> she said, <laughs> I remember just being like, that is so cute. Like, that's just the cutest thing. And, and she would, I don't know why she thought it was cute, but she did. So I'm thinking, okay. So I go into my, I wait another 
10 hours for my next audition. I get in. Mm -hmm. The person that was behind the desk again says, okay, so I see here that you've never seen a radar movie. Like, tell me like about that. That's like, they would look at me like, that's a bizarre factoid, right? You know, like that's kind of a weird thing. You never had a drink. And they were always just very genuinely curious. And so we'd have these conversations and then I make it to the next round in the same, I mean, you sing and then you talk and you sing and you talk. And, and here I am talking, like, I mean, this is just like a very, I want to say, I don't want to say basic, but decision that I made. Um, anyway, and, and we just end up talking about it over and over again. We get down to the, to the very end. Right. And, um, I'm in the room with the big three judges and it comes up, of course they edit it. Like I just volunteer the information. Right. But yes, but they ask me like, okay, what's this, you know, tell us about this. And we might've talked for 15 minutes. They obviously edit it down. But when they asked me the question, you know, why, why haven't you seen a rated R movie? Why haven't, why haven't you, you know, why are you living this way? Right. Essentially. I mean, I can't verbatim remember what we said, but when I just remember when they asked me why in that moment, like my, my, my heart racing and thinking, what exactly am I going to tell them? You know, I don't want to be like, it's against my religion. You know, I didn't want to say something dumb like that. <laughs> and I remember in the moment, just thinking this started when I was young, it started in my home. Yeah. This is the way that, you know, this is what my parents, it was just kind of like the thing. My parent, we didn't watch rated our movies, you know, living a certain, like not drinking. This was just a very much a, a, a part of my upbringing. I didn't, and I didn't say it was part of my church or my faith because at the time, well, whatever I, what came out is what came out. And I, and, and I just said, you know, when I was older, it was my choice, whether I could watch a radar movie or not, but I felt like I was good. I was happy this way. Like it was working for me. And so I just told them like, I'm, I'm happy this way. So I'm, I'm doing it. And, you know, and Simon poked at me and he said, you know, we'll bring you to the dark side. And I think I said something like, oh, I, I dare you. I remember like afterwards thinking like, why did I say that? Like, that was like, I can't believe I, that came out of my mouth. And then it was, that was, I just, I had no idea how this was going to come out in the wash. Like, I didn't know how they were going to edit this together. Fast forward, right. fast forward to the night, the premiere of American Idol was the first night. And they actually had me on the premiere night. They actually had me on the commercial leading up to the whole entire show. And I just remember just being mind boggled by this whole experience. And, um, I remember in that moment of watching the show, being terrified of how, you know, cause American, I was kind of infamous of like doing whatever they got to do to make it a good show. I, I mean, they're a great show, but you know, they'll edit some, some packages together. That's good for television. We'll just say, right. Totally. And I know yes. all these people, they're great people. I love them very much, but it's television. And so I'm thinking, yes. how are they going to make this look? And mm-hmm. when it was over, I was amazed at how nice they were to me, you know, they didn't make me look like a, like a, you know, a big weirdo. I mean, I am, but <laughs> they didn't know. I mean, I, I say that I don't mean that in a, I, I am, I'm, I'm different, but it's okay. And, um, we're all different, but at the time, like, I just feel like the, the way that they put it together was actually very kind and yeah, flattering to me. And, um, I was also scared I was, it was vulnerable to reveal this part of myself. There's yes. never been an opportunity for me to be like this. And that night, I remember afterwards, we had MySpace only, which makes me sound. Oh, hardcore. I had a MySpace too. But I remember at the time, yes. MySpace was definitely the thing. I remember going to my MySpace and within an hour of the show, I just remember my, my messages. I went from having like three messages to like 5,000, 8,000, 10,000 messages wow. in one night. And it was just one after another of like, you know, people be like, are you Mormon? You know, because I had never seen yeah. a radar movie. And that was like, kind of like, burr, 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 you know, I'm LDS. But the, the message that I kept getting over and over again was like, you know, teenagers, kids that were like, you know, I, you know, I've been on the fence about drinking. Like one girl's like, you know, I'm Jewish and I go to a Jewish school and my friends are drinking and I've been really on the fence about it. And I watched you tonight and I decided I'm not going to do it. And wow. kids that were like, Hey, I watched Raider. I've watched Raider movie, but I'm not going to anymore. <laughs> like just the cutest, sweetest. I mean, I had some people being like, you're so stupid, whatever, but which is, which was hard. Like I wasn't prepared for that either, but I just, 
it wasn't until that moment that I realized like this decision that I had just made at a young age. And look, I'm so far from perfect. I've made plenty of other mistakes outside of, you know, there's worse things other than watching a rated R movie. But I just thought about all the times that like I could have watched one and I sat in the bathroom while my friends like watched one for two hours and I just felt too scared to like leave or just situations where I just, I ended up, you know, not seeing them. I mean, I've watched like things edited for TV or whatever, but like that was just like a decision I just kept making over and over again throughout my life. And never in my, like, I could have never known in all those times that it was going to someday be the story that made me interesting, that put me on this stage in front of millions of people. And again, none of it was, was my plan. Um, but it was just like, it just was evidence to me that like, you live a certain way, you make certain choices. They seem small. They seem like just a a thing that you just do or don't do. And then at some moment, and for me, it was very dramatic. It's a, it's a more dramatic thing. It amounts to this moment that is crucial. And I have to, that you never could have seen coming, never seen coming, but obviously God was like, I know your life and he knows my life. My life is not, it's not spotless, right? But he knows my life. He knows my story. I got through the first round, but what I ultimately got through to the end, I think is largely in part because of this story. And while I always thought like it was so basic and like I was sort of boring to a large part of the world, that was kind of a bizarre, peculiar, interesting thing. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of my experience on that show is built on kind of like who you are based on this story and who you've been and these choices that you've made throughout your life. And that's when I realized that I was there on God's terms. None of it was mine. You know what I mean? I just, I just did it. I got on the plane. I got there. I got the ticket. I waited. I sang. I prayed. I wrote the things down and step by step. That is how I got through American Idol to fifth freaking place, which if you had asked me, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have lasted through the first round. And you, and at the end of the day, do you know how many people made it from Philadelphia onto the show? Two. Wow. And I was one of them. And I don't say that to boast. All I can say is that this is just something that's going to happen. To me, I just, I listened to this and I'm like, okay, clearly God had a plan. Yeah. Clearly it was his plan to put oh, yeah. you in this position where you could be a light to the world. And that's what attracted me to you. I remember I remember talking to my mom on the phone and saying, I think this girl's a member of the church. And my mom was like, I think so too. We couldn't tell for right. sure, but there was something about you that attracted me to your energy and your light so much. And I'm certain that that's what so many other people reached out to you about because they were feeling that same thing and feeling mm-hmm. like there's something that is light about her. Well, thank you. And I just have to say something that's really interesting about not specifying that I was, you know, I mean, we, we, we shy away from the term Mormon, right? These days we don't, we don't go by that, but, you know, being a member of, of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, not leading it with that way, because beyond that, I'll tell you, I, I remember after the show walking down the street in some random place, Oklahoma, and a woman pulling over in her Hummer and jumping out of the car and saying to me, Oh, honey. I, I loved you. I could just tell you are a Christian. You're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, yes. She's like, I'm just so thankful for, you know, your example and your light. And, and I remember just thinking like, we bonded like people that were just, I think of faith and who, who felt like could feel that no matter what denomination they were Jewish, or even if they weren't really faith based people, I think people felt that. And not having been specific allowed a lot of people to connect with me through the feeling and the the general presence that I think they, they might've connected with or felt with. And I remember her holding me by the hands. I can't tell you how many Christians held my hand and prayed over me on a sidewalk in the middle of a grocery (laughs) store at the gym. I let every Christian and whatever faith person stop and pray over me because Christian people do that a lot. They pray over you. And I loved it. I loved feeling so unit like since so much unity and connection with so many different people of faith and just people in general i mean i had all kinds of groups of people um be incredibly kind and loving to me and um you know when you think about like your purpose and you think about why you're there you do this i remember just even let it be the night of let it be alone 
which I can hardly even listen to. For me, it's hard to listen to because I hear where I'm pitchy and all that stuff. Um, but you know, fast forward, when you're on the show, you have no idea the effect it's having on the outside. You're in this bubble, you're protected. I don't Google my own name. I don't do any of that. You have no clue what's happening on the outside. And so it's, it takes sometimes years after the show to recognize the effects, to hear the stories, to get the letters, to see the people that you like to see you, you know, when you reach, you come to me in all summit and being like, this connection that I have with strangely millions of people, like, I don't know them, but they know me. And when I meet them, I do feel a connection to them very quickly. But this, I had, I remember just two separate instances where people reached out to me to tell me when I had sing, let it be, there was one girl in particular who was battling a life-threatening eating disorder. And after seeing, let it be, after hearing me sing, let it be, she decided to check into rehab, literally, I, I don't know if I remember if it was the next day or not. Anyway, she still keeps in touch with me. And she, um, every year on her birthday, like reaches out to me and thanks me for like helping her live. And um, there's another guy who showed up at one of my shows who said, you know, I never knew if I'd get a chance to meet you and tell you that the day that you sang, let it be, I was, I was going to commit suicide and I decided not to, you know? And um, you know, it's so much bigger than you. It's so much bigger than me. When you go and you decide to, pursue something that you feel called to do and it feels very hard and you feel not qualified or worthy you just almost have to remove yourself from the equation in that sense you just have to believe that there's it's just so much bigger than you and I gained so much from it like there's there's endless blessings I I gained from this experience do I want to do it again no am I glad that it's over yeah (laughs) (laughs) but But I think what you were Yeah, I so agree with what you were saying about, you know, kind of getting out of your own way. And I think that the true, to me, the true essence of figuring out the gospel, one of the like missing pieces of the puzzle for me that I didn't figure out until I really did recovery, I really did the 12 steps, I really understood what it means to surrender, is that I learned that, like you're saying, getting out of your own way, to me, that looks like going to God and saying, I actually just want to do whatever you want me to do. Even if it feels crazy or looks crazy or seems crazy, which is exactly the story you're telling here. Like, just put me where you want me. Let me do whatever you want me to do. I think um, I need to have her on the podcast someday, but our mutual friend, Morgan Jones, who interviewed both of us for that article years ago, I asked her one time, what's one of the most interesting things that you've learned from interviewing all these people? And she said something to the effect of the most remarkable stories come from people who truly turn their entire life over to God and say, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Which I see you doing. Wherever you want me to go, you know? So I think that's just such a theme here is that like you had all this self-doubt, you had all of these obstacles, all of these odds stacked against you, but clearly this was God's plan because he needed you to shine your light for the world. And I I feel like it's really necessary to point out one other enormous detail in at all. I was really in a faith crisis at the time. I was not in a, I was in a very emotional time of my faith and struggling with doubts. And I had really close friends questioning and, um, moving away from it all. And mm-hmm. I've always been a deep questioner. I've always had like a deep sense of, I think, spirituality innately but I've always said I had a, a lot of tenderness in my heart and a lot of questions for this, the world and how it all works out. And, and I think I, I definitely was going through a really tough time. And I questioned, I was actually, I felt like even in a rough place with God, like knowing who he was and trusting in him and his plan, if I'm being honest. And I think that's one mm-hmm. of the other things that actually maybe was for me was that me being there, I know was very, was helpful to many other people, but him guiding me through the experience. And I didn't go to church for nine months through this experience, which is a whole nother story. I felt God this close and you can't hear me. You can't see me, but what I'm doing is I'm holding my hand as close to my face as I can, because that is how I felt God. And I have not felt God that close almost ever in my life or ever again. I mean, I have felt him close, but I mean that close. And um, 
you're so right when you're talking about what Morgan said about people, like when they just decide to do whatever God guides them to do is how it works out. And it's like, as I hear you say that, I'm like, man, I just needed to hear that reminder again. Even after telling my own story, it's like, I have to remind myself again, like, you know, when I just trust and I follow and I call it spiritual off-roading, like Mm -hmm. it's going to be not what you think. Like, it's not going to be this, you know, the straight, the, the, the path is narrow and straight, but it also is, there's, there's a very windy path that he also will take you on. And I feel like that testimony was something that I gained when I was there. And it was, it was a catalyst for so many things, right? Like at the end of the day, like he and I built a relationship that no one could come between. I mean, even times where my parents or Dave or, or someone else like questioned my song choice or why are you doing this this way? I mean, they were being kind out of just concern, but like, I remember the other day being like God telling me like, you listen to my voice and my voice only the end the most well-meaning people, people that like I trust to the nth degree. And I'm a very over-analytical person. I have paralysis by analysis. I have decision fatigue. I struggle on, and I will, I will ask a lot of people their opinions and try to figure out decisions off this. This is a time where it was like, listen to my voice only, the end. And when I would make these decisions and people would question me, it was hard for me because my natural tendency is to be like, question that, like, wait wait, is this the best choice? And it was like, every time it was like, they mean well, they have your best interest in mind, but just trust me. And that that. was a huge lesson. And it's crazy because I wish I could say that it's like, I followed it perfectly for the rest of time. I mean, I have at times and there's other times where I've lost track. But I like when I look back and I reflect on this situation, this experience, which one of the, the, the biggest stories I'll ever have to tell of my life I think it is because of that right there. Like when I tell it, I just, I, I want people to know of how much it wasn't my plan, how much it wasn't my thing, how much like me taking this path, pursuing music, having to wait eight years to have children, moving to LA, being uh, away from my family, doing the things that I've done. I will say, you know, as the times have gone on, I found more passion, more desire in myself to want these things. And I think having personal desire is important. And I'm not saying there's no place for that. I think God does want us to have desire. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, what I did always have was a very prominent joy for music and a love and a connection to music. And I do think that was very vital and it has been vital. But at the end of the day, the reason I'm here, what's got me this far is that, that it is a plan beyond my own And when it comes to talents, when it comes to figuring out your gifts, and it's hard because when I tell a dramatic story, I don't want to give the impression that it has to be dramatic to figure this out because it doesn't. The the prerequisite isn't that you're awesome or the best or that you Mm -hmm. feel super equipped because I think, you know, there are some people out there who are really confident. They know what they can do. and 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 I think that's a gift in itself. But like, I'm just, I'm standing here as an example of someone who, who lacked confidence for the most part and didn't really believe in myself, but got there and did it and did each step and had so much fear and anxiety and cried a whole bunch, you know, and, and literally almost had an emotional breakdown, but made it and got this far. And, and so I just, I think for me, that's my hope is that my story is an encouragement to other people that feel like they're just not good enough or that they're just not worthy, that their, that their gift isn't worthy of using. And, um, that we just have to get out of our own way and, um, let, let God show you what gifts you have and what he can do with them and the incredible things that could happen as a result. Yes, totally. Let him be in charge. Yeah. I love that so much. Oh my gosh. It's been so uplifting and inspiring and wonderful for me to hear. So I have one last question for you. And that is, if there's one message that people remember from this podcast episode, what do you want that one message to be? If you feel called to do it, if it's like, you just know you have to do it, you do it. And that, um, that it won't be easy and that it's going to be hard, but that it's going to be hundred percent worth it. I mean, it seems trite. Those things seem trite, but there's just, it's like, just get over yourself 
And I don't mean that in the mean way. I just mean like literally get over the things that are in you that hold you back and let yourself be guided. Let yourself show up on the stage. Let yourself show up on the page, in the home, in the, wherever you need to be, show up there, allow yourself to be there and allow yourself, and then, and then go to work and see the miracles and the blessings that will, will come about. And you might not see them for a long time, but it's worth it. And, um, and I, again, like, I think that's, that's how we can know that we're gonna, that's how we're gonna win. If that's what it's about, you know? But it's yeah. more than it's more than that. It's just about all the things that you're going to accumulate on the way. It's so much more than a final point, destination, cool story. It's the development. It's the it's the things that you learn. It's the relationship you build with God and yourself, and the way that you serve others, and the joy that you feel in expressing the gift. <laughs> Which there's a lot of that, you know. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And I just love you, Brooke. I'm so grateful that we had this conversation today and for all of the things that you, the tender things that you shared. I really appreciate that. So where can people find you if they loved listening to your story, they want to follow along with you and listen to your music and sing along with you and all of those things? Well, uh, if they really want to do that, (laughs) they can find me. You can find me on Instagram mostly. That's just kind of where I've simplified it, streamlined it at Real Brooke White. Um, okay. just, and there's an E at the end of Brooke. So R E A L B R O O K E W H I T E. You can find my music pretty much everywhere. Um, I recently put out a new record in, um, just a couple months ago called Calico, which is for, for California country. And it's a record that I made here, um, in while in the depths of, of motherhood and, it's it's been a really fun experience to do that and a, and a hard one but um yeah you can listen to my music just about anywhere and um i like to share so you can find me mostly on the story of instagram either uh, dancing or talking crying <laughs> doing something probably pretty awesome. ridiculous so that's um yeah. that's kind of where i hang out you're inspiring and i i love it i love to be able to follow along with you there so thanks again for taking the time to be here today Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.